Well, good morning. To all the moms here, we want to wish you a happy Mother's Day, and we hope this is a, a special day for you, a, a time of celebration and uh, maybe getting to put your feet up a little bit and get a meal taken care of for you. Uh, but we're just so grateful your your whole family's here and, and you've joined us for worship. And, and uh, we want to just mention a couple of things here at the outset. If your row hasn't happened to begin passing the attendance binders, if you would do that and, and sign those, that's a huge help to us as we uh, uh, try to stay connected to everyone and know how we can serve you and be involved in your life. Uh, the second thing I want to mention is we're not going to go through the bulletin. There, there's some announcements and some things coming up. I just wanted to point out, though, that uh, there are a couple of inserts that you should pay careful attention to. There's an opportunity to bless and minister to Joshua's house. And then um, there's some, uh, some information there regarding uh, that particular um, organization and the, the opportunity you have. And then there's another handout uh, with open houses that are coming up right here around the corner. Make sure you, you take a look at that as well and, and the rest of your bulletin for announcements. Mom, uh, we just want to, um, again, extend a special welcome to you and let you know that as you leave today, we've got a gift we'd like to get, get to you. So there'll be some kids out there um, with those gifts and want to make sure that you get one before you, before you leave here today. You know, uh, speaking of Mother's Day, I came across this this week, and uh, it's a series of tests to determine whether or not you are ready to become a mom. Now, for many of you, this is too late. Maybe you should have run the gamut here beforehand, but for those of you maybe who, are, who aren't moms yet or considering it down the road uh, or one day hope to be, I hear a few tests that you really should run through uh, to see whether you're ready. The first one is the food mess test. Um, have someone come in and give them a jar of peanut butter and give them permission to randomly spread peanut butter on your furniture and curtains throughout the house. Uh, they also need to be able to take fish sticks and hide them in unique places. Make sure, make sure you do this in the heat of the summer um, so that you can find them later on. Uh, the second one is the toy test. Obtain a 55-gallon drum of Legos. If Legos are not available, you may substitute roofing tacks. Yeah, have a friend spread them all over the house. Put on a blindfold and then try to walk to the bathroom or kitchen. You step on them, you're not allowed to scream as that could wake your child at night. Uh, there's the grocery store test. This is great. Borrow one or two small animals. Goats are best for this. And take them with you as you shop at the grocery store. Your job is to always keep them in sight and you have to pay for anything they eat or damage. I'll prepare you for taking your kid shopping. Uh, there's the dressing test, getting your kid dressed in the morning. Uh, you have to obtain, this might be a little tricky, but I think you can do it. Obtain one large, unhappy, live octopus. Uh, you can tell if they're unhappy because they turn bright red. Uh, stuff it into a small net bag, making sure that all the tentacles stay inside. Uh, that'll help prepare you for dressing your toddler. Uh, there's the feeding test. Obtain a large plastic milk jug. Fill it halfway with water. Suspend it from the ceiling with a cord. Uh, then swing the jug, and while it's swinging, try to insert spoonfuls of soggy cereal into the mouth of the jug while pretending to be an airplane. When you're done, dump the contents of the jug on the floor. <laughs> uh, there's the, the sleep test, the nighttime test. Obtain a small cloth bag, fill it with 8 to 12 pounds of sand, 
soak it thoroughly in water, and at 8 p.m. begin to waltz and hum with this bag until 9 p.m. Lay down the bag and set your alarm for 10 p.m. Get up, pick up your bag again, sing every song you've ever heard, make up a dozen or more songs, uh, sing those two until about 4 a.m., go back to sleep, set your alarm for 5 a.m., get up, make breakfast, keep this up for five years, and look cheerful. <laughs> There's the physical test. Obtain a large beanbag chair and attach it to the front of your clothes. Leave it there for nine months. Then remove ten of the beans. <laughs> then the final assignment. Find a couple who already has a small child. Lecture them on how they can improve their discipline, their patience, their tolerance, their toilet training, and child's table manners. Suggest the many ways that they can improve. Emphasize to them that they should never allow their children to run wild. Enjoy this experience. It will be the last time you have all the answers. <laughs> That'll help you get ready, ready for parenthood, especially motherhood. And uh, this week, you know, we've been going through, we started a series a few weeks ago. We're calling Why? Question mark. Why, why do we're asking the question, why do we do certain things in, in the church that we do? We've talked about a communion, and we've talked about membership. And this week is giving. Why do we talk about giving, uh, tithing, uh, giving of your financial resources to the church? Why do churches talk about that? Uh, sometimes you may, maybe you've been involved in a church where that's all you seem to hear about is money. Um, but finances are an important part of God's word. Uh, scripture mentions money over 800 times. It was one of the most prominent things that Jesus spoke about uh, more than just about any other topic. He talked about money. And so when we ask, ask the question, why give? I actually was thinking about how this ties in with Mother's Day because we think about being, having a spirit of generosity, about being people who, who are willing to give of what God has given us. And uh, doesn't, that, doesn't that describe moms? I mean, moms, you, you pour into, you give and you give and you give, often without thanks or return or, or anybody, anybody uh, giving back to you. I did read a story this week, though, about four boys who decided to give back to mom. They, were, they had gone through college, they'd been raised, they'd gone through college, and they all had successful careers. And now their, their mom was getting up there in years, and uh, she lived in a different city, and they all decided they wanted to do something really nice for mom. And they got together and had dinner, and they were uh, sharing what, what, they had did for, what they had done for mom. And the oldest brother, he says, uh, well, I built a big house for mom. Second puffed out his chest a little bit, and he said, well, that's nothing. I had a $100,000 movie theater built into the house. And the third said, well, I called my Mercedes dealer and had a brand new car delivered to that house. And the fourth said, well, guys, you know how mom always loved reading uh, the Bible to us when we were kids? Remember that? Well, I, I met this preacher who told me about a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. Well, it took 20 preachers 12 years to teach him this. I had to, I had to pledge to contribute $200,000 to the church, but it was worth it. Mama just has to name the chapter and verse, and this parent will recite it for her. The other brothers were obviously impressed. and So shortly afterwards, uh, uh, the, um, the brothers uh, received thank you notes from Mom. And uh, they, uh, they, one by one, received these, these notes. And the first one said, uh, Milton, uh, the house you built is so huge, 
I live in only one room, but I still have to clean the whole house. Thanks anyways. <laughs> Next one, she said, Michael, you gave me an expensive movie theater with Dolby Sound. It could hold about 50 people, but all my friends are dead. I've lost all my hearing and I'm nearly blind. I'll never use it, but thanks for the gesture all the same. Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home. I have my groceries delivered, so I'll never use that Mercedes. The thought was good, though. Thank you. But dearest Melvin, you are the only son to have good sense to give a little thought to your gift. The chicken was delicious. Thank you. <laughs> Generosity. Uh, God calls us to be people who are generous. And our main thought this morning is, is the, when we ask the question, why give? Why do... Why do we tithe? Why do we have offering boxes on the back wall? This church, we don't, we don't uh, pass an offering plate. Many churches do. It's kind of a preference thing. We have offering boxes on the back wall. When we ask the question, why give? We, it could be as simple as the Bible commands it, or we have bills to pay. But there's a much deeper meaning there. There's a much deeper reason. And it's simply because we have a generous God. And he calls us to be like him. A God who is generous. If you have your Bibles, please join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Here in this, this portion of Paul's letter to the Corinthian Christians, he's dealing with a, a situation where um, there's a church in Jerusalem who has a great need. The, the believers there are really struggling. There's been some persecution. And they, they, they're, just, they're, they're having a hard time. And the Corinthians had had this idea of helping them, and it sounds like they kind of started off to help them financially, and then they, they backed down and, and didn't follow through for whatever reason. And so Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to kind of kickstart that project again. You remember what you started? Let's, let's finish that. Let's be generous and bless these believers. So we're going to just read here 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6 through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, to receive your word. 
particularly, Lord, those of us this morning who struggle with being generous, who struggle with having a heart like yours, would you open our eyes to the, the Christ-likeness that generosity uh, entails? Lord, may we, may we hear your word, may we believe your word, and may we, in your spirit's power, obey your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we ask this question from the text here, why give? Uh, the first reason I wrote down is that our giving is expected. Our giving is expected. If you look at verse 7, it says that uh, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice the phraseology of Paul is like there's this expectation that we're going to be giving financially to God's people and to God's work. It's not an option. He doesn't say for those of you who are interested in this, listen up. But there's this expectation, this understanding that as each one has decided in his heart, the choice is not whether or not you give. The choice, according to that verse, is how much you're going to give. He says as each one has decided in his heart, give, give cheerfully and generously. But it's not a question of whether or not you're going to be involved financially in what God is doing around the world uh, and, and among his people. But, uh, and, and, and you can see this. I mean, we don't have time for a Bible survey here, but you start with the very beginning of the Bible and work your way through the Old Testament. And you'll see God has always called his people to give. In the Old Testament, there was an emphasis on the tithe. And the people of Israel began at 10%, and there were often actually other tithes throughout the year that, that, that bumped that number up. The key thing that they were supposed to, one of the key things they were supposed to remember is that they, they gave uh, right off the first fruits. It wasn't just like, if I have a little bit left over at the end of the month, then I'll throw a little bit uh, God's way. But recognizing that it was God from whom they had everything, he was the one that provided it, he's the owner of all things, and right off the top, they gave him of the fruit, first fruits. It was the best lambs. It was the, the cream of the crop. And that's the principle that carries on to the New Testament. And rather than specify a number amount, sometimes when we talk about giving, we want to know, like, well, what's, how much? Like, what do I have to give? And, and, and Paul kind of blows that question up, and he says, it's not about what I have to give. It's about how much can you give? What is it that, that you need to live on? And then, like, how can you be a blessing to God's people after that and give based upon his generosity towards us. So number one is our giving is expected. Number two is our giving brings a blessing. Now this is, this is really pretty awesome. And, and I know that this gets distorted um, on many accounts and in many churches around, the, around the, uh, the world today, especially in our country, where like certain returns are promised. Like if you give this much, God has promised to return and give to you this much and that sort of thing. And it, and unfortunately, a biblical principle has been taken and ran with and distorted and changed uh, because of greed and various other motives. But the principle is still there. And, and Paul lays it out in verse 6 and then expands on it in the following verses. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He takes an agricultural metaphor and he brings it into this realm of giving. And, and he recognizes that if, if you only sow a little bit as a farmer, you're not going to get much in by way of return. Or when your kids bring home that little, that little uh, styrofoam cup from kindergarten and there's a seed in there. And if you water it and give it some sunlight as if we actually have it here in Michigan and put it on the, the windowsill 
and uh, whatever was planted there is supposed to grow. Now, whatever that is, especially if it's uh, you know a little stalk of corn, it's not going to feed your family or anything. We're not knocking anything out of the park. It's 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 small. You've you've only sowed sparingly, and you only had a small room, you know, small uh, cup in which to work with. But if you have a whole lot of real estate and you've got a whole lot of farmable land and you spread seed far and wide and you take care of that, you're going to get a, a real, real harvest, a significant harvest. That harvest is directly proportional to the sowing. And he says, he brings that metaphor in and he says, the same is, is our giving. If you're stingy and only give a little bit here, a little bit there, he said, that's, that's all you're going to reap. But if you are generous in your giving. And again, Paul does not give numbers here. He doesn't get specific. He's not going to say you're going to get rich the more you give away. All he says is that those of you who sow generously will reap a bountiful harvest. And then he talks about how, how God has, is, is willing and able to expand what you've done. He's able to take it and, and multiply it. Even if you're able to only give a little bit, God can take that and run. But the, the concern that he has here is that it's our heart. We've said it many times, God always gets back to the heart. Our outward actions can, can do a lot of things. And, out, and, and doing is important. It's the book of James, right? But ultimately, God wants to get to our hearts. He, he says, the, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. He says, but don't give reluctantly. I don't know what your translation says, but it's a, it's a Greek word that means uh, out of grief or sorrow or affliction. The New American Standard Bible translates it grudgingly, mumbling all the way to the, to the offering box as you write out the check. Man, there's so many other things I could do with this. And what are they going to do with this anyway? What's the big deal? I don't know why I had to give this. And, and when, when you have that, that heart of Stinginess of, of begrudging, giving, that doesn't please God. He wants us to give generously, cheerfully. We recognize that with our kids, right? Like when you ask them to do a chore, I've used this illustration before, when you ask them to do a chore, is there a difference? Like are you just okay that it gets done, like no matter what? Or would you rather like their heart be into it? Like when they're like... Your things slamming, cupboards slamming, toilet lids being slammed down, and like, okay, they did it, but like the whole experience was not very pleasant for anybody, and you didn't feel like very, very uh, helped out. You didn't feel like they were, uh, you know, interested in being a part of the family and doing chores, and uh, like, but when when you say like, hey, would you, would you go clean the bathroom for me, and they say. Yeah, sure. Is there anything else you need? You're like, once you've, once you've recovered from the concussion that you had from falling out of your chair, you're like, I like that. Like, that's the kind of heart that I would love to have when, like, like I ask you to do chores. That's awesome. Like, wouldn't that be great if, if all of us all the time had that kind of attitude when it came to jobs around the house or responsibilities? The Bible says it's the same with giving. Um, we're not supposed to give out of you know, begrudgingly and complaining, but he's out of a, out of a generous heart with a, with a cheerful generosity. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. I love that phrase. Think about this for a second. Does God love you? Yes. That was 
I mean, that didn't sound like real confident. Does God love you? Yes. If you're not sure, we've got scriptures. I'd love to show you. Seriously, I would love to show you if you're not sure about that one. That's a huge question to answer, but that's for another day and another sermon. The Bible says, though, that God loves a cheerful giver. And I take that to mean, since he, since he loves us, those of us who are Scrooges and those of us who are generous, but he loves a cheerful giver, I, I sense that there's like this extra, this, this place in his heart for those who love to give generously. Like there's this, almost this, this extra bit of affection. Not that you're his favorite kid or anything, but like it says the Lord loves a cheerful giver. That pleases God. When we choose to, to take his perspective with our stuff, realizing it's not ours, it's all a gift from him, and we can say, man, I get to be a part of what God's doing over here, and there's this mission work that's going on, I can be a part of that, and I can help support this pastor here, or I can help give to this work here and support these poor folks, or whatever's going on. Uh, when, we get the, when we take the perspective that it's a privilege to enter into that work financially, the um, Bible says God loves that. God loves that. And he promises to reward cheerful generosity. I wish we had more time to explain on it, but uh, look at verse 8. He says, um, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So he's saying that God is able to give you that grace, that the resources, so that you can have sufficiency in, in, in everything, and that you may abound every good work. And then if you look in verse 11, he says, then you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you hear what he's saying there? God's gonna enable you to be generous. And as you're generous, he's gonna give you more to be generous with. We don't give so that we can somehow manipulate God into giving us more stuff so that we can get wealthier. We, we give out of cheerful obedience, and then as God blesses us and gives us more, we have more opportunity to bless and give away. And there's, a, there's a cycle here. But when we choose to be self-centered and, and selfish, we're, number three, we're robbing others of a blessing. Our giving blesses others. Our giving blesses with others. It may go without saying, but when you give your money away to others, they will be blessed by it. Verse 12 says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Think about this for a second here. Look what that verse is saying. There being a direct blessing to these Christians in Jerusalem. There's, there's orphans that have a place to lay their head. There's widows who have something to eat. There's ministers who are able to freely minister without uh, having to take a second or a third job so that they can provide for their families. All these things are happening. And he says, not only, not only are you supplying the seeds, but it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So like words getting around, like the blessings are starting to overflow into the lives of others. Wow, that Corinthian church has really blessed us. I don't know how we would have made it if it hadn't been for their generosity and their kindness. The, 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 the goodness and the kindness and the reputation that the Corinthians were developing was going to overflow into other, the lives of others. There's a joy that comes from meeting the needs of other people. This, like, like there's this principle that's repeated over and over in Scripture. It's more blessed to give than receive. And, and it's true. 
I have struggled to believe and understand that in my life because I tend to be more on the stingy side. This is a, this is a sermon I hate to, a topic I hate to preach about because it's, it gets to my heart. It's convicting for me. But when, when we sit down, when you sit down and you read the Christmas Carol, or if you're like me and you've never read it and you've only ever watched it, uh, when you sit down to watch the Christmas Carol, there's none of us who, like at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of the book, who sees Ebenezer Scrooge and his lifestyle and his attitude towards his employees and his family members and the community around him and his co-workers. There's nobody who looks at Ebenezer Scrooge and says, I want to be like him someday. There's none of us. Like want to be in a in a cold, like cold and lonely, stacking our money up somewhere with no friends and no one around us. The whole point is to show us what 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 warmth and love and generosity brings. And Dickens does that all without bringing in scripture and, and pointing to the, the one, the ultimate one who is generous. We recognize, even at a human level, that it truly is more blessed to give. Then receive. So not only are we blessing others, but we're getting a blessing ourselves. Number four, our giving glorifies God. Our giving glorifies God. In verse 13, he says, by their approval of this service, so he's speaking of the Jerusalem church, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. You see, there was... Away, because, because, because the Corinthians had been generous, God's name was going forth. And notice he ties it in with the gospel. This submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So important that those things are brought together. The generosity in gospel. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. These believers recognize that God's name could be lifted high and glorified and honored through generosity. People who will receive the help will praise God. The people who are ministered to will praise Him because they've seen Him in a fresh way and you're going to praise Him because He has graciously allowed you to be a part of what He's doing. There's praise all around. It's lifted up to glorify God. Finally, our giving imitates God. Our giving imitates God. At the end of the chapter, Paul finishes it with this phrase, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know, he doesn't elaborate, he doesn't explain what that gift might be, but it's implied within the context. Our God has given his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And Paul calls it the inexpressible, the indescribable gift. You know what? Scholars nowhere have been able to find that Greek word translated inexpressible anywhere in all of Greek literature. The word is nowhere else outside of the Bible or, or any Greek writings except for right here. Scholars believe that Paul made up a word. And he made up a word because he could not think of any way to describe the gift of God with any known language. And so he's like making, like combining words and making something up here to just say like, there's an out of this world gift, an unbelievable, just blow your mind. If you want to sit down and talk about it, I would be, Paul was like, would talk about this to anybody. The gospel, Jesus Christ, day or night, he talked about Jesus. And he's like, this gift, I can't, I don't even have words to describe this gift. 
I'm just so thankful for it. It's our God. Like, that's his very heart. From the very beginning of the Bible, God has been generous. And we could just, we could spend all day tracing, like, like even creation itself, right? God didn't have to make the world the way he did. He gives it to Adam and Eve, and he says, you have dominion over it. And he's given all this beauty and this wonderful creation. Every day he said, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and this is very good. All this great, wonderful, beautiful stuff he gives to Adam and Eve. Here, this garden, this perfect place, it's yours. Beginning there and all the way throughout Scripture, we have this God who is lavishly generous, kind beyond, uh, un- beyond belief, beyond what we deserve. This gift of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever. When we are willing to give of what's nearest and dearest to us, and most of the time that's our pocketbook, we are like God. Shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began picking up the pieces. Much of the old country had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. Perhaps the saddest sight of all was the little orphan children starving in the streets of these war-torn cities. Early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London. As he turned the corner in his jeep, he spotted a little lad with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. And inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. The hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move. The soldier pulled his jeep to the curb, stopped, got out, and walked quietly over to where the little fellow was standing. Through the steamed-up window, you could see the mouth-watering morsels being pulled from the oven, piping hot. The boy salivated and released a slight groan as he watched the cook place them onto the glass-enclosed counter ever so carefully. The soldier's heart went out to this nameless orphan as he stood beside him. Son, would you like some of those? The boy was startled. Oh, yeah, I sure would. The American stepped inside and bought a dozen, put them in a bag, and walked back to where the lad was standing in the foggy cold of the London morning. The soldier smiled, held out the bag, and said simply, Here you are. As he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked back and heard the child ask quietly, Mister, are you God? (laughs) We are never more like God than when we give. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Bill Gates and his wife have given away over $28 billion to their charitable organization. Warren Buffett, over $25 billion in his lifetime. There are athletes like Derek Jeter and Eli Manning and others who've set up foundations to help those in need. But no matter how much a billionaire or a famous athlete gives away, they're only giving away because God has first given to them. We can only be generous because our God has first been generous to us. But of all the blessings and of all the gifts God's given us, the greatest is His Son. One writer says that by giving the world the magnificent gift of his son, God has given to such a degree that no words can describe it. Whole libraries could not begin to plumb the depths of his marvelous generosity. The most gifted and articulate articulate wordsmiths could use the most exalted expressions of which human thought and language are capable and still fall far short of this glorious reality. 
And when Christian people, whether in Corinth then or right across the world today, begin to realize even a little of the vast scope of God's sovereign kindness, it opens our hearts and our wallets. I want to give you just a, a couple of ways to apply this, to just make this real practical as, as we close. First of all, uh, number one, just take some time to reflect on God's gifts to you. Maybe you're like me and you, and you struggle with, with this teaching. Stop and, and spend some time right here. Comb the scriptures. Make a list in your, in your journal. If you don't have one, start one. Begin a list of all the ways that God has been good to you. Uh, just start with the practical realm. Shelter, food, uh, healthy kids. And then open up the scriptures and begin to look at all the ways in which God has graciously provided for you. Graciously, uh, lovingly given His grace in your life. And take time to meditate on those things. Reflect on God's gift to you. Secondly, remind yourself of God's promises for generosity. As your heart is stirred with God's gracious gifts in your own life, remind yourself that God has promised to bless those who bless others. That God has promised to bless those who, who sow generously. You know, there's, just because this teaching has been distorted and blown out of proportion and made like the center point of, of some ministries out there, don't write it all off. Turn to places like Malachi where he says, uh, where, where God is talking about this idea of, of being blessed when you give. And he actually says, test me in this. I, I don't know of any other place in Scripture where God says, go ahead, try me. Try me out here. See if you can outgive me. And I promise you can't. That's crazy. Take some time to just reflect on promises for generosity. And then thirdly, examine your heart. Um, only you and God know what's going on in here. Um, we can write a check and put it in the box every Sunday and still be in disobedience to God. You know, you know that? You could be like the most lavish giver of the, the, the church has in all the church history and, and still be disobedient to God because if your heart's not in the right place, God, God's, God's after our hearts. He wants us to give, but He wants our hearts to be in union with that. And so take some time to go before the Lord and say, God, is my heart in the right place? And ask yourself some difficult questions. Is, is my giving in proportion to my income? Am I doing this because I feel guilty because the pastor just preached a sermon on it? Or am I doing it because I have contagious joy over the generosity you have shown me? If someone else knew the level of my giving to God's work, would I be a model to follow? Have I prayed about giving or am I just an impulsive responder? Take some time to examine where your heart is. And then fourthly, trust God to honor consistent generosity. It's a step of faith. You may think, like, listen, I've got all these expenses and all this, you know, kids' activities to pay for and food and, and, and bills and you name it. It just piles up. How can I give off the top and, and still expect to have enough at the end of the month? This is where faith comes in. If God has promised you can do it, then you can do it. And it's a step of faith. And one that I have had a very difficult time. I will stand up here and testify. A very difficult make, time making uh, many times in my life. And it's not like I did it once and I got it. Like there have been times where I've repeatedly, God's brought me to the edge and said, all right, I want you to step. And I'm like, I don't see how this is going to work. I don't have a plan in place. It's not all figured out. And God says, trust me here. Does my word not hold true? And I've not been faithful to my word. 
You will see that he will honor your generosity. I'm going to close with one last story. Oswald Bolter was a missionary in northern China during the 1940s. And after 10 years of service, he was returning home. On the way back, his ship stopped in India, and he was waiting for another boat home. And while he was waiting, he found a group of refugees living in a warehouse on the pier. Unwanted by anyone else, the refugees were, were stranded there. Golter went to visit them as it was Christmas time, wished them a Merry Christmas, and asked them what they'd like for Christmas. We're not Christians, they said. We don't believe in Christmas. Well, I know, said the missionary, but what do you want for Christmas? They began to describe some German pastries that they were particularly fond of. So Oswald Golter cashed in his ticket used the money to buy baskets and baskets of the pastries and took them to the refugees and wished them a Merry Christmas. Later on, someone challenged him and asked him, Sir, why in the world did you do that for them? They weren't even Christians. They weren't even believers. They don't believe in Jesus. I know, was his reply, but I do. We call ourselves followers of Christ. And we proclaim to follow this one who has, who has given everything. Our lives should mirror the generosity that God has. So let us prayerfully grow in this area. And when we ask that question or we think about that question, why should I give? It's because we have a, a generous God who has given far and away more than we could ever ask or imagine. He's given us his son to die in our place, to rise again so that we might have love, have life, have hope. Let us extend that, that picture to the, the world around us by being people who are generous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us to have a heart like yours. There's so many ways that we need to become more and more like our Savior, loving those who are not easy to love, being patient in difficult times, not living a life of worry or fear. There's so many ways that we can grow to become like Jesus. This morning as we think specifically about how our God is the most generous being in the universe, Lord, would, would you teach our hearts? May we become more like you in this area. For those of us who, this is a battle. May we be reminded that everything we have is a gift from you. It's not our own. Constantly take us back to the gospel. The glories of the cross. And the inexpressible, indescribable gift of Jesus. Lord, may we become more like you. Give us hearts to be generous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.